you would uh, please uh, stand if you are able uh, for the reading of God's word. Jeremiah chapter 23 verses 1 through 6. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy and infallible word. Would you please be seated? <clears throat> so a little bit of uh, background as to where we are. This is the uh, 12th now, or 13th, uh, in the series uh, that I have uh, given the message on when periodically uh, filling the pulpit. It's actually been a little over six years when I started and eight months uh, since the last time uh, that I was up here. So the first couple of times we uh, talked about uh, an introduction to God's names and more uh, specifically uh, the importance of knowing uh, his names. And when we look at names that, uh, of God in the Bible, uh, we, uh, or any other names, uh, in ancient times they usually meant much more uh, than what they may mean now. Uh, back then they uh, revealed important information about uh, whether it was the person, the place, or a, a specific thing. Uh, and they often spoke of relationships. Uh, because of the depths of God's character, uh, he has uh, various names that reflect uh, the many ways that he relates to us. So that knowing God's names, you know, really knowing them well, opens doors uh, for us to more fully know his character. Uh, even if that's just a small uh, glimpse of how great uh, he really is. You know, we saw uh, initially when we uh, called God Elohim, he was revealing himself as the strong one. He was the all-powerful creator. Then we looked at the name Yahweh, also known as uh, Jehovah. And in this name, uh, he is uh, the great I Am, the self-existing one. Then we focused on El Shaddai, the God Almighty, the great uh, nourisher and provider of blessings. Uh, then we looked at his name Adonai as Lord and Master of all that there is, as the great protector. Then we reflected on his name El Elyon, the Most High God, the owner of all the universe. 
And then we considered God as Yahweh Jireh, uh, the Lord who provides. Uh, he is the uh, one that is ever faithful uh, to release his blessings. And then we explored the name Yahweh Rapha, uh, the Lord who restores, the one that heals. And we looked at Yahweh uh, Nisi, or Nisi, Nisi, Nisi. <laughs> uh, the Lord is my banner, uh, the Lord that uh, protects us in our battles against sin. Uh, and we're almost there. And then we focused on uh, Yahweh uh, Mekadishkin, uh, the Lord who sanctifies, that we are uh, consecrated to him, that we are uh, therefore also set apart and made holy. And then last time uh, we delved into Yahweh uh, Shalom, uh, the Lord is peace. And that notice that when we fully align ourselves uh, with our great God, that we can truly uh, have rest and an everlasting peace. You know, and there's quite a few more, so kind of like the Energizer Bunny, uh, we'll just keep going on and on and on. Uh, so you get the picture. Uh, there's a name for God uh, for every circumstance in which we may find ourselves and in every uh, circumstance uh, that he may apply to any uh, purpose that we have in dealing with him. Uh, so with that uh, as an introduction about uh, where uh, we've been and about where we're going, uh, let me ask, what do you think of the word values? Uh, or of the word morals. And where are we as a group or as a community or as a nation? Where are we going? Uh, what path are we on as a people? And I ask you to ponder these questions uh, as we reflect on our uh, scripture reading and message uh, for today. You know, the, uh, regarding the scripture reading, uh, this is set uh, in a time of uh, great turmoil uh, for the kingdom of Judah. It is literally tottering on collapse. Uh, nearly 100 years after the uh, 10 northern nations of Israel uh, had been taken captivity, uh, Judah now stands in the same predicament. They too had been uh, disobedient to the Lord and they had been very profoundly disobedient. Apparently Judah had learned little from watching the spiritual and uh, physical collapse uh, of the northern kingdom. It's really a sad fact that uh, few of us, uh, few uh, even as huge nations, uh, seem, uh, don't seem to take advantage that, of lessons that uh, history offers us. And so I ask, uh, as uh, many have before, will we never learn? Back uh, to our history, God's spokesman uh, during this time was the prophet uh, Jeremiah. Uh, his ministry began uh, during the rule of King Josiah. Uh, Josiah was one of the greatest kings of the Old Testament. You know, Israel's history uh, had always been marked by significant spiritual highs and then lows. And frequently, 
we saw that the spiritual, moral, uh, and material productivity uh, of uh, the, these periods were directly related to the spiritual qualities uh, of the leader, uh, in most cases, the king. You know, King Josiah uh, followed a very, uh, uh, the very wicked and cruel kings, uh, Manasseh and Ammon. Am Ammon. Uh, they had led Israel into a very deep spiritual and moral decline. They allowed, uh, well, no, they really actually, they supported uh, a severe corruption of the temple. Uh, the temple became desecrated by some of the most uh, vile of uses. Uh, and even the, prince, uh, the priests were among the most decadent. The house of the Lord was gravely polluted. It's interesting to note uh, in uh, the books of Kings uh, and Chronicles that very often at the end of each king's reign, one of two phrases uh, is invariably used to describe uh, the reign of that king. It simply says that the king did was right what was right in the sight of the Lord, or the king did what was evil in the sight of of the Lord. It's rather a solemn uh, to, that when it's all said and done that the ultimate question is whether the king did good or bad. You know that uh, the moral climate and stability uh, of a nation would be uh, determined to a significant measure uh, by the moral temperament of its leader. It, I find it uh, interesting that in uh, our current circumstances uh, as a nation that we would even debate whether character matters when it comes to leadership. Uh, character should always be a high priority because character seems to eventually determine action. So a very good king, Josiah, follows uh, two very evil kings. Now, Josiah was profoundly moved uh, as a young ruler. Uh, he rediscovered uh, the word of God, uh, which then led him to restore the temple uh, and to revive godly worship. Uh, these uh, steps led to uh, great spiritual uh, reforms in the nation. But unfortunately, the revival and the reforms uh, ended abruptly uh, soon after the young king's untimely death. The wholesome spiritual conditions in Judah quickly degenerated and the spiritual decline ultimately led to increased moral decay, oppression, violence, uh, internal dissent, and political unrest were once again the order of the day. The deterioration was uh, extreme. It was so extreme that in Second uh, Chronicles uh, chapter 36, we read, but they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. And so the, the, the conditions uh, in Judah led God to declare the end of the kingdom of Judah. <clears throat> and thus, despite the good that came from King Josiah's reign, 
In 2 Kings chapter 23, we read, The Lord did not turn from the burning of his great wrath by which his anger was kindled against Judah, because all of the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will remove Judah also out of my sight, as I have removed Israel, and I will cast off this city that I have chosen, Jerusalem, and the house of which I said, my name shall be there. Can you really imagine such a situation? You know, the ten tribes of Israel had already been taken into captivity. And although a few generations had passed, uh, the people uh, had Judah uh, had seen the result of the moral corruption uh, and disobedience to God's word. If they had seen the fall of Israel, why would they not see the potential impact of their own disobedience? When I uh, read some of the Old Testament accounts uh, of the time of the kings, I feel like I'm reading some of the headlines in the news of our day. You know, are we failing to see the obvious moral decline in our nation and the resulting corruption and lawlessness? Do we ignore the spiritual decline and apathy in our own lives that frequently lead to disobedience? Often the symptoms are minor in the early stages of this stagnation. Like the people of Judah, we might first lose uh, interest in seemingly minor things, and then it graduates into uh, our reading the, not reading the Bible with an excuse of not having the time, or our not abiding by the Sabbath as it being inconvenient, or attending church. You, know, you kind of get the picture. We will slowly uh, seep into atrophy. We will waste away like a muscle going unused. Will spiritual decline creep into our attitudes, our work, our leisure, and even our family time? If we don't rediscover God's word in our lives and allow it to bring reform, we may find ourselves in a spiritual bondage that is far worse than the captivities seen in the Old Testament. Essentially, Judah's day of grace had well expired in the midst of their spiritual decay. Yet, God sent a spokesman to proclaim the word of the Lord. But Jeremiah and his message were not well received by the kings. To understand the significance of this wonderful name that we have today, the name is Yahweh Sidkenu, the Lord is our righteousness. It is important that we look at the prophet's message more deeply. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had become a nemesis to Judah. Uh, Judah's king Zedekiah uh, sent two priests to Jeremiah with the request that he inquire of the Lord on their behalf. And Jeremiah 21 tells us, Inquire of the Lord for us, for Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, is making war against us. Perhaps the Lord will deal with us according to all his wonderful deeds and will make him withdraw from us. On the surface, this appears to be a reasonable request for a king 
uh, to make of a prophet. Perhaps like Zedekiah, at some point, you know, we or you may have been expecting a favorable outcome uh, from the Lord. But listen to the prophet's response. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will turn back the weapons of war that are in your hands and with which you are fighting against the king of Babylon and against the Chaldeans who are besieging you outside the walls. And I will bring them together into the midst of this city. I myself will fight against you with outstretched hand and strong arm in anger and in fury and in great wrath. Well, that's not exactly the good news that Zedekiah was expecting when he sent the messenger. Essentially, God is telling Zedekiah that, that Babylon will be an instrument of his justice. Not only will the Chaldeans storm the city, but God will also allow them into the center. The attack will then lead to great pestilence, and those that happen to survive the pestilence and the sword and the famine, God will hand over to Nebuchadnezzar. What was Zedekiah to think? Now you think you said, well, I deserve worse, but still the Lord was compassionate and long-suffering. He offered Judah the opportunity of repentance. In Jeremiah then 20, chapter 22, we discover that the Lord sends Jeremiah to the king of Judah with a word of compassion. Thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. For if you will indeed obey this word, then there, then there shall enter the gates of this house kings who will sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their servants and their people. The Lord offers an opportunity to Zedekiah that the king would just bring forth the fruit of repentance. He would enter the gates of the house of the king and sit on David's throne. But if he failed to obey the prophet's words, Zedekiah was warned that his house would become a desolation. Zedekiah ignored the warning of the prophet and rejected the kindness of the Lord. Zedekiah imprisoned Jeremiah because he didn't want to hear the prophet's words of judgment. In turn, Jeremiah told Zedekiah that he would see Nebuchadnezzar face to face because he would not because he would be taken to Babylon as a captive. The people of Judah must have wondered how to understand Jeremiah's message in the light of God's promises and the purpose for his people. Had not God promised to establish David's kingdom and his throne forever? Would captivity in Babylon not mean the defeat of God's own purpose? But into this environment of foreboding and gloom, 
the prophet held out a great word of hope as he promised that Israel would return from captivity and be restored to its homeland. Jeremiah goes on to say that God would raise up from the line of David a righteous branch, a king who would reign and bring judgment and justice to the earth, and he would be called Yahweh Sidkenu. The Lord is our righteousness. Jeremiah begins this message of encouragement with an analogy of an indictment against the leaders of Israel. Jeremiah calls them the shepherds who have destroyed and scattered the flock of Israel. The Lord then promises that he will gather up his remnant, bring them together, and raise up shepherds over them who will attend to them so they will no longer be afraid and none of his people will be missing. God's word tells us, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called, The Lord is our righteousness that name being Yahweh Sidkenu. There's a striking similarity between the name Sidkenu and Zedekiah. The name Zedekiah means righteousness of Yahweh. Originally, though, Zedekiah's name was Mataniah, which means a gift of Yahweh. Nebuchadnezzar had placed Zedekiah on the throne in place of his nephew, uh, Jehoiakim, and changed Mattaniah's name to Zedekiah. You know, scholars uh, differ in their interpretation of the meaning of this name change. Uh, some believe the changing of the name was an intentional and scathing rebuke by Nebuchadnezzar of the king and his defection from his god, Yahweh. We often forget that when we, what we do reflects upon our God. So could the name change have been a subtle reminder of what might have been for God's people and their king had they been obedient to God? Some uh, feel it is more likely uh, the name change uh, by the, that the name changed by the pagan king simply demonstrated the authority uh, that Nebuchadnezzar had over the king of Judah. It is difficult to uh, fully, for us to fully comprehend uh, the, dev the devastating impact uh, the Babylon Babylonian captivity uh, had on the people of God. Yet the promise implicit in the name Yahweh Sidkenu, so similar to the name of the captive King Zedekiah, tells us that God is still the sovereign and righteous ruler of the universe. In our preceding messages on the names of God, we looked at Yahweh Jireh, the provider. Yet here we see people in a captive situation lacking provision. He revealed his desire to be Yahweh Rapha to them, the healer, who would turn bitter experiences of life to be sweet ones. But here we see a people who are broken 
and indeed in need of healing. As, as Yahweh Nisse, uh, he uh, provided, he promised to be their banner of victory. But here they have been sorely and completely defeated. <clears throat> Refusing to sanctify themselves to Yahweh mid-Kadishkan, they had become a corrupt and degenerate people. They had forsaken Yahweh Shalom and now have lost their peace and were torn by internal dissension and outward aggression. True to his character, God was always faithful to his promise, but Israel had turned their backs on him and not shown their faces. How about your personal experiences as we have looked at these names of God and studied his nature? Do you know God's provision? Are you living in God's provision? If he is the God who heals, are you struggling with circumstances of bitterness? Are you living daily in spiritual victory? Since he is the source of peace, have you discovered a lack of anxiety and conflict in your life and relationships with others? For us, as for the Israelites, the name Yahweh Sidkenu stands as a beacon of hope. Once more, his children had been promised that they could be redeemed, they could be healed, cleansed, could be victorious, and they could be at peace through the branch of righteousness. The name Sidkenu uh, comes from the root Hebrew word Sedek, uh, which uh, in its strict definition means stiff or straight. But it is really difficult to adequately translate uh, the richness of this word into English. It has to do with God's uh, dealing with his uh, created beings as fair, just, acquitting, and righteous. This is brought about in several scripture passages as applied uh, to the outward uh, obligations of men. In uh, Leviticus 19, uh, we see the demand that God's people used just weights and measures, as in dealing with uh, measuring grain or oil. Uh, the reason behind this was an absolute singular. Their God is just, and therefore his people must reflect his character in, their, in all their dealings. In Deuteronomy 25, the use of just weights and measures is one of the conditions of prosperity and abiding uh, in the promised land. You know, for ancient Roman justice, it was represented by a person uh, with a pair of scales in their hand, uh, weighing the balance of evidence. And so similarly, uh, years before, you know, Job had pled let me be weighed in a just balance and let God know my integrity. You know, I also find it interesting that in our modern times, uh, the Orthodox uh, Jew Jewish faith still conceives God as weighing good deeds against the bad. <clears throat> per uh, their belief, on New Year's Day, 
There's a process that begins and then ends on the Day of Atonement. The results of that are then sealed for the year. These 10 days that are in between are spent in a desperate effort characterized by charity, prayer, and fasting to tip the balance of the scale in one's favor of good, although there is no certainty as to which way it may have gone. Now this is really a tragic way to go through life. The word sedek is also uh, used to represent a full weight or measure toward God in a spiritual sense. You know, in Psalm uh, the 4, verse 5, Israel was uh, commanded to walk in the paths of righteousness and to offer the sacrifices of righteousness, putting their trust in the Lord to be fully committed to God. Uh, Sadek is also used in a sense of rendering justice and making right. Uh, in Deuteronomy uh, 16, judge required uh, that his people appoint judges and officers who would judge the people with righteousness and that they were specifically warned that to act unjustly would be an abomination uh, to the Lord. The whole spectrum of Israel's life was to be conducted in righteousness as a reflection of Yahweh Sedeku. The word uh, Sedek uh, is used hundreds of more times in scripture, both as uh, meaning right or righteous, righteousness, and also just and justify and to declare innocent. You know, have you thought about the implications for your personal life when you declare that you bear the name of Christ. Every aspect of your life must suspect, must express uh, the nature of the one uh, who is Lord. You know, many non-Christians make their assessment of Christianity by the evidence they see in our lives. And so we must live in the light that our Lord is Yahweh Sidku. Sidid. Sidnik. The truth being, uh, the name uh, Yahweh Sidkanu uh, speaks to another matter of our day. Our nation is becoming more uh, pluralistic and syncretistic. Now, there's a big word, syncretistic. Want to spell it? <laughs> Let me explain. You know, as belief systems multiply, there's a growing pressure to treat them, treat them all as equally uh, true and valid. Uh, that these, uh, and that these uh, belief systems uh, all lead to the same God. Well, this uh, has in turn uh, led to dissolution of absolute values. You know, some would argue that truth is relative and that there are no absolute standards that define righteousness. This compromise has led to moral confusion, which if left unchecked will lead to unmitigated and absolute chaos. I venture we have all heard someone make the absurd statement that they believe a certain action that was taken by someone wasn't right, but 
who are they but then they go on to say but who am I to say what is right or wrong you know maybe uh, you've even heard a Christian friend make such a statement in reference to what they feel as a moral issue such as uh, abortion or sexual uh, immorality yet we know where the truth lies uh, it is that these issues are issues of sin too often we don't want to sound judgmental or appear uh, narrow in our thinking but we must ask ourselves what are the moral absolutes who determines them and then when do we speak up I suppose that most thinking persons would agree that our very survival uh, demands that there be uh, some agreed-upon absolutes. Give you just a daily example. Would you dream of taking a car onto the highway or even onto the road of a cozy, gated neighborhood <clears throat> without some assurance that you could depend on the other drivers uh, to obey to uh, obey agreed upon standards such as you know staying in the proper lane, uh, stopping for a stop sign, uh, etc. Uh, so we might ask, how do we establish agreed upon moral standards for our community, state, and nation? You know, I venture that no human system will prove satisfactory. Uh, the only standard is the righteousness of God. He alone is righteous, and as our creator, he established the world with his moral standards, which reflect his own nature. Now picture uh, this. Now, I'm on a plane. Back to Mike. I'm on a plane, and shortly after takeoff, I take up a conversation with a seatmate. Uh, quickly, it evolves into a philosophy about how we should live, you know, how we should conduct ourselves, about moral values. Uh, <clears throat> the man next to me agrees that values today seem rather topsy-turvy. Uh, they are literally all over the place. Uh, actions that were once considered immoral are now viewed as alternative lifestyles. You know, then he asks, how can anyone really determine what is right or wrong? You know, I start to answer the question, and he's very willing to listen. I tell him there are only three options available to us in determining values. First, we can allow, allow everyone uh, to decide for themselves what is right or wrong. Of course, with him being a prudent man, he immediately replies that solution is completely unworkable and would lead to utter anarchy. And I agree. Then I state the second option. Vote democratically on moral values and follow the majority rules. rule. He warms to this suggestion, uh, indicating that such a system would be uh, fair and would explain why such issues as abortion were deemed wrong in the past, uh, but are now, uh, at least by many, considered available options. But I respond uh, that uh, while such a system uh, might seem fair, it is tragically flawed. Uh, seeing him confused, I illustrate saying, 
Suppose that a few minutes ago, while you were in the rest restroom, the captain told us the plane was about 160 pounds overweight, and that this weight differential was causing a serious control problem, which would have catastrophic results if not corrected. So the passengers took a vote while you were away, and the majority determined you should be thrown out of the plane to resolve the issue. Uh, he immediately replies that he did not agree with the vote and insisted that the decision was unfair. Well, I replied that the majority seemed it was a very fair solution. Uh, it was for the greater good. Uh, in exasperation, he declares that the solution is immoral. And at this point, I said, I agree. But asked him why he previously used the words like fair and moral. Uh, where, and where had they originated? He responded that he wasn't sure, but that he knew that some things just weren't right, no matter how the majority might vote. I again, again agree and tell him that our sense of moral values is derived from God who created the universe. God's very character is such that he is fair and just. He created all there is for his own purpose, and that he is a righteous God. He created the entire universe to reflect his character. In fact, the only standard of righteousness is our God. So let me ask this. Are you grieved as I am uh, over a nation that promotes phony peace? Are you sick of the media promoting of sexual immorality under the guise of alternative lifestyles? Are you tired of a nation that glorifies needless violence and vilifies prayer and holiness? I dare say if we don't return to, Snid, to Yahweh Sidknu, the God of righteousness, I fear we may be held captive to a worse fate than Judah and Israel. Our own desires will run so amok that we as a people should be thrown from the plane. In numerous places, the Psalms focus on the righteousness of God. There are quite a number of them. But just looking at a few, Psalm 85, the psalmist cries out for revival and restoration. Then he declares that God will speak peace uh, to his godly ones. And here's just a beautiful portion of that psalm. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground, and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. And in Psalm 89, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face, who exult in your name all the day, and in your righteousness are exalted. And then Psalm 129, verse 4, simply declares, The Lord is righteous meaning Yahweh, Sid Kinu. So what of man's righteousness? 
Man's lack of righteousness speaks of the evil of his ways. In the book of Job, uh, Eliphaz, Eliphaz asked, What is man that he can be pure? And he who is born of a woman, that he can be righteous. Psalm 14 depicts Yahweh as looking in vain from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any that understand and do good. And the verdict is, there is none who does good, not even one. And so when we fully comprehend the significance of the name Yahweh Sidkenu, one must first question, uh, one, one of the first questions that floods our mind is, how can a sinful man stand in the presence of a righteous God? It is an age-old question which which must ultimately be resolved. For Yahweh, who is perfectly righteous, cannot overlook this lack of righteousness in man. The prophet Isaiah, when he was praying for his nation, found himself in the presence of a holy God and knew himself to be completely undone. And he declares that he was a man of unclean lips. And then ultimately, he says that even his righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And the Apostle Paul saw his own righteous accomplishments as rubbish. Now, why would this highly spiritual and morally upright man consider his own righteousness as rubbish? You know, listen to his own words from Philippians 3, verses 8 and 9. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Why would a prophet and an apostle look at their own righteousness as filthy garments and rubbish. Both knew that God is the only standard of righteousness. In the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus compared the righteous acts of the Jewish people with that of the Gentiles, and his conclusion is profound. You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. We often want to compare uh, our righteousness with someone we consider uh, less righteous. And we may say, I do better uh, than so-and-so uh, in our church. Well, that may be true in itself, uh, but the standard is not other people, uh, even those considered very religious. Uh, the standard is a righteous God who is perfect in his righteousness. Now, I, And you're thinking, yep, the standard is impossible, and you're absolutely correct. Uh, you've come to the same conclusion as the prophet uh, and the apostle. You cannot earn God's favor. You cannot stand before a righteous creator, uh, a righteous God creator on your own merit. But still, there is an answer. There is good news. Isaiah spoke of a servant who would be wounded for our transgressions and be bruised for our iniquities. Upon him... Yahweh would pay uh, the iniquity of us all and would make his soul an offering for sin. The servant is called my righteous servant uh, who should justify many by bearing 
their iniquities. But who could be that one? Surely uh, it could be no man, for there is no man that is righteous. Psalm 47 or 49 uh, tells us, Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. Apart from the fact that such a substitute and sufferer must be of necessity, uh, be perfectly righteous in himself and more than a man, the servant of Isaiah 53 is also the servant of Isaiah 47, the Holy One. He is identified by Zechariah as the servant who is the branch. And that branch is the righteous branch of David and the holy king of Jeremiah 23, who is the Yahweh Sidkenu. Our Lord is righteous. The fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy came in Jesus Christ. He is the holy branch raised up from the root of David. He is both the manifestation of perfect righteousness and the provision for our righteousness. He was fully man and yet without sin, and he is fully God so that he alone can represent sinful man before a holy God. In chapter 1 of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, we are told, And because of him... You are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Then in chapter 5 of his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul tells us, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The only way sinful man can stand before holy God is through faith in Jesus Christ. He is the branch of David, born of the Virgin Mary, fully man and fully God. And he fulfilled the promise of the righteous one to come. He lived a sinless life, Yet he died to pay the penalty of our sin. To stand in righteousness before God, we must acknowledge our sin and be willing to turn from sin and have Christ to be our Yahweh Sinidku, for he is our righteousness. Having this name of God, Yahweh Sinidku, emblazoned on you will have a profound impact on how you deal with family, of friends, and with all with whom you come in contact. It will transform you to everything. Remember God's righteous demands, just weights and measures. It requires that we practice justice and compassion in every arena of our lives. We must submit ourselves to Yahweh Sidkenu for our righteousness. So with that, let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your grace and mercy. Thankful for uh, the blessings that you give us new uh, each morning as we rise and each evening uh, as we retire. 
Lord, we're so thankful for your holy and infallible word, the word that blesses us with the truth of your names and ways that will help us better know your being and that allow us, Lord, to better know your character. Lord God, we do want to know you to the fullest. We want to know you as covenant children. Father, we want to know all the glory that your names have. And Lord, what a, a glory and greatness we see uh, in this uh, name, Yahweh Sidkenu, the Lord is our righteousness. And Lord, it uh, tells us that if we but rely on you, uh, if we just set our minds upon you as the only a true righteous uh, one, true God, and we follow your statutes, obey your commandments, and abide in your ways, then, Lord, we are assured that we too will have righteousness and be righteous in your sight. So, Lord, Yahweh, Sid Canoe, we pray that our thoughts and our actions would always be aligned with your truths. So, Lord, we place our faith in you as the righteous one. And Father, may we always say thanks be to you, amen and amen, for through you, you give us victory over death through the finished work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in this, we pray his, in his name, and, and, and <clears throat> Jesus Christ, amen.